Okay, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7. We have uh, two more weeks in Romans, and then we actually have an eight-week break. Okay, so yeah, breathe out a little bit. We've got a couple other things coming down the pipeline, but we'll have an eight-week break in Romans before coming back to Romans 8 in January, which is arguably the greatest chapter in the Bible, namely, or said by many. Okay, and so um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hands. Uh, the words will not be on the screen today. We had a bug in the computer, so if you need a Bible to follow along, put your hand up. Don't be shy. If you don't own a Bible, this is our free gift to you. Take it. Keep it. Read it, love it, all right? If you do have one, just forgot it, take it, leave it on your way out. Romans 7. Nope, this week and next week. Okay. Yeah, one more week. Okay. So last week, like I said, Aaron Daly was with us. Uh, how many of you guys appreciate Aaron? He was just a good dude, right? Yeah. Um, since he got back home, he kind of reported back to... Uh, we had a, kind of our all-pastors meetings down in the valley this last Wednesday. And so he got to kind of speak about, you know, how much he enjoyed it. And it was funny because um, I had uh, three of our other congregation pastors come to me and ask me essentially when they get to come up and do that too because they heard such great things about you guys. So I told them, I'm not sure what Aaron told you. Uh, but... Uh, so anyway, you might be seeing some different faces here in the new year, namely Ricardo and Luke and some other guys really want to be up here to see you guys. So anyway, good work last week, not embarrassing me, I appreciate that. And then, uh, <laughs> um, but he talked about this idea, right, that amidst the law being present, that we have been released from it, right? So the implications of the law still exist, the law is still good, but we have been released from the law and now live in the spirit, we live in grace, we live in truth, okay? So there was kind of this switch that comes through Christ, you get that great illustration about, man, it's, if you're in a bad relationship, it's hard to all of a sudden hate that person if you love them, but you must be then captivated by something greater, namely the gospel, namely Christ, okay? And so today, we, we, we unpack that a little more, not to say we're released from the law, but understand really what are the implications of the law itself. And what's wild is Romans talks about the law all the time. Paul is steeped in the law, Okay? But we've really rarely taken a moment to really break down what was its purpose. Why did God give it to this world? Okay? Why did God in the Old Testament say, okay, hey, you know what? This isn't going super well. I'm going to give you guys this law, these commandments, and I want you to live this out. What was the purpose of that whole deal? And that's what we get to unpack today. Here's what I love, not just about this week, but next week as well. Because Romans has been highly theological. In other words, there is so much... Um, concrete doctrine and truth that we pull from these texts. But what's really awesome is that this week and next week, it's a little more experiential. Okay? It, it's a little bit more, let's, get a, let's be a fly on the wall and see Paul wrestle with the realities that, these, that, these things, that the text presents. Um, I would say that this week and really next week is probably the most relatable passage in almost all of Scripture. That we'll sit down, we'll look at these honestly and say, man, that's, that's my story. Like, I, I see myself in what Paul's saying. And so today, I want us, not just to get, I mean, listen, we're going to craft uh, what, who God is and theology and all that, but I want us to step into the experience of Paul, this guy who God calls out of this pious, law-filled righteousness into grace and mercy and hope. Okay, and we'll see how that transition happens in his own life. Okay, <clears throat> so... If I had to give kind of a title for today, it would be the user experience of law, sin, and grace. Right? The user experience of law, sin, 
and grace. All right, so let's get going. Verse 7. It says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. Okay, so um, he starts off again with one of the questions that he's been doing for the last couple chapters. He puts this question out and then rebukes it himself with a by no means. You saw Aaron last week really bust out his inconceivable, right, from Princess Bride. Um, I'm not going to do it, but it is inconceivable that we would think this to be true, that the law itself is sin, that the law itself is bad, the law itself is broken. No, see, that's not what's being communicated. In fact, really just the opposite. Paul wants us to know that the law is very good. Now, coming from our cultural context, this is kind of a hard pill for us to swallow because um, we grew up, at least I know I did, listening to a lot of music that was anti the law, right? I fought the law, but the law won, right? Volcom, do you guys know the, the brand, the skate brand Volcom? Literally means anarchy. Okay, so we've lived and we've grown up in this, man, law is bad. It's all about my personal freedom. I don't want to submit to anything. And so we don't like lawyers. Sorry, Steve. We don't like cops. Sorry, Michael. But we don't, we don't like these guys because we are trained to say, you know what, those are, those are bad, man. They restrict me from living the life I want to live. They hold me back from the fun I want to have. And they do all these things. I had a buddy named Donnie in San Diego. He got three speeding tickets in two days. Okay? Right. Yeah. Three speeding tickets in two days. He then says, as I talk to him, he's telling me the story. Man, I got another ticket. I said, that's your third one. He says, yeah, man, I hate cops. And I said, I said, bro, you broke the law. Like, what do you expect him to do? Like, that's his job. If you're going to break the law, it is his responsibility to give you a ticket. And yet, in his mindset, it was more, no, man, forget about my own responsibility or my own culprit. No, this guy's a jerk, right? The law is messed up. The law restricts me from doing what I should be able to do, and it becomes very me-focused, right? It becomes about us. It becomes about our freedoms and not something maybe bigger and higher and something that might just be good for us in the long run. We'll keep unpacking that. But I want to show three major benefits of the law today. The first one, it keeps us from things that harm us, okay? It keeps us from things that harm us. Now, we don't often believe this, but it does that, right? So it says, don't do this because when you speed, you're more likely to get an accident and die or cause harm to other people. Right? The law restricts us because that is how this is best lived out and worked out in society, not just taking you in mind, but all of humanity. Okay? And so the law is there to keep, keep us from harming ourselves. Think about when you were a kid, okay, and your parents said, don't do that right? Don't touch that, right? The burner, right? On top of the, on top of the oven. Don't touch that. It's, it's hot. And what'd you do? Ha <laughs> ha! Right? Bam! Touched it. We were watching Finding Nemo the other night. You know when Nemo swims on out to the boat, right? Marlon says what? Don't touch, don't touch the boat. Bam! Flipper, right? Touch the boat. See, we are so trained. Okay, when we're told no, we go the other direction. The law is there to keep us from things that will actually harm us. Okay. 
So God gave the law to the people of God, firstly, to say, listen, these things will actually harm you. Right? Life is best lived in the confines of this. But we disregard because of this second one. <clears throat> Excuse me. It exposes sin for what it really is. Okay? Another benefit of the law is that it exposes sin for what it really is. So, in the midst of understanding that the law is there to keep us from things that harm us, it also on the other end then says, okay, you know the sin that you think is so great and so fun and so liberating and so awesome? No, that, that's destroying you. Right? It, it, the law itself unveils sin for what it really is, brokenness. It unveils sin for what it really is, a distorted image of what God meant this world to look like. When we have the law, when we see the law, it's so contradictory to what sin is doing that, man, it exposes it to be sin in our minds. Okay, this is a good thing. Thirdly, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it reveals our inability to achieve righteousness. Okay. In the midst of a law that we cannot achieve because we've all tried, Right? In the midst of a law that we, can, that we try to achieve that we cannot, we say, okay, there's a problem here and I can't solve it. So just like Paul's grand argument that he's been giving throughout Romans that we need a savior, we need something else to come in and fill in this gap of where we fall short, the law helps to reveal our need for someone else to be our righteousness because we certainly cannot. It's a huge benefit of the law. Okay, You see, so... As law exposes sin for what it is, shows us that we need righteousness. Has anyone ever seen the show Mystery Diagnosis? No? How about House? Has anyone seen House? I figured that would have been a little easier. That guy's a little creepy though. Okay. So in House, right, these random people come into the hospital and they have these random ailments, but they are not labeled yet. Right? They have no idea what's actually wrong with this person. So they come in, like their arm is barely hanging on, or they have like four tongues, or it's just always the most wild, erratic stuff you can imagine in the show, and no one can figure out what's wrong with them. And then House comes in with his cane, and just like, bam, this is what it is, and gives it a label, and says, this is what your problem is. Okay? See, what the law does is it comes in and gives sin a label. It comes in and says, okay, you know the problem that we all have where, where there's brokenness and there's hurt and there's pain and there's betrayal and there's mistrust and we look out into the world and there's hurt and there's pain and there's mistrust and there's betrayal and there's brokenness. When you see those things, when you experience those things, you know something's wrong. But what the law did for us was to say, you know what that is? That's sin. And gave us a label and by giving us a label lets us fight back. By giving us a label, it lets us fight back and say, okay, no, that is not from God. This is, and so I'm going to move this direction and not that one. Okay. Benefits of the law. Let's keep going. Verse 8. If law was so good, why did it go so bad? But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Okay. 
So in all the ways that the law is good and was given to us for our good, sin is the exact opposite. Sin is all bad, okay? In all the ways law is good, sin is bad. Let's look at those again. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Three major detriments, if you will, to sin. Instead of keeping us from things that harm us, it moves us towards things that harm us, right? It says, okay, Paul, um, now that I knew what covetousness was, I longed for it. Sin came in, caused me to long now for the things that I'm supposed to keep away from. And so we chase after those things. Listen, how about this? Every time, okay, if you go snowboarding, if you go hiking, the best trails that you want to go on are usually the ones that have a uh, orange sign in the front saying, do not go past, or do not trespass, or stop here, or, and you're like, man, what's back there? Probably more fun, right? Like, that's where the fun is. And so we want to go that direction, okay? I've seen it all the time. Like, it's that moment, right? You get off the lift, you walk over to the side, there's a giant, listen, don't go here, out of bounds, dangerous, avalanche, death. Yeah, good, all right. Right? Why do we do that? Sin in us causes us to long for the things that would harm us as opposed to see them for what they are and go the other direction. The law and the sin are very anti to one another. Okay, Sin comes in and does this. Um, sin tarnishes law. Sin corrupts what the law was meant to do. The way I see it, best illustration, is tempura sushi. Okay, I mean this. Um, how many people like sushi? Good, most of you are Christians. That's great. Um, so... Tempura sushi. Sushi is just God's gift to man. Thank you, Japan. Okay? And so, so love sushi. Um, super tasty, super healthy, right? Gives you a lot of nutrients, proteins, all that good stuff. And then in our American mindset, we said, yeah, let's fry it. Right? Right? Oh, that's really healthy. Yeah, we're going to fry that. We're gonna... I do not get it. It take, listen, I'm being serious. It takes something good for us and zaps all of the nutrients out and then comes in our throat and kills us slowly. Okay, I mean, that, there is no better illustration than tempura sushi for what sin does to the law. The law being good in itself, meant to bring life, meant to keep us from harm, meant to feed us, meant to point us to God, meant to show that we are not good enough and we need God himself, and yet sin comes in and corrupts what the law was meant to do. It it zaps all of the power and the good out of the law, and all of a sudden makes it about us and ruins it. Like tempura sushi. If you don't like that illustration, how about this one? How about the internet? Okay. Listen, the internet in and of itself is a fantastic tool. We use it all the time. Listen, we send emails, we connect calendars, we can read things, we can study things, we can get things in an instant, all really good things. But do you know also that the internet along with it, you can scam, deceive, bully, catfish, apparently is a thing, <laughs> lust, neglect, commit adultery. There's a website that its slogan says, life's short, have an affair. You get, we can forget actual reality because we're so plugged into the internet we forget there's actually people in our lives that we should probably spend some time with. 
We disconnect from our wives. You know, the internet is now being labeled as one of the top five reasons for divorce because a husband spends so much time on things he shouldn't be looking at. That's not just pornography, but sometimes like fantasy football, news outlets, things that, man, he's just not spending time with his wife and vice versa. The internet, something that was meant for good, meant to be something to make our society better, is corrupted by our sin and now used for things that do not glorify God and pull us from him. And on and on and on. Listen, it is vast. We could look at almost anything in this world that sin will take and distort and corrupt and use for its gain as opposed to our own. Okay. Number two. It distorts the law and truth. Okay, so in the way that the law exposes sin for what it really is, sin distorts law. So now, again, that's that breeding in us, right, that hates the law. That says, okay, that pulls from me, that takes away fun, that takes away everything that I should have. And so that distorts the law as opposed to showing the law for what it really is, which is good and beneficial and true. The third one. It deceives us and leads us to try to achieve righteousness by ourselves. So law exposes our need. We cannot do it. We need a Savior. Sin says, no, you can do anything you want. Sin says, you're good enough, you're strong enough, you're anything you want to be, you can be. Sin takes a hold of that and causes us to take that to cosmic levels where now we look to God and say, you know what, God, I don't need your sacrifice because I can handle this on my own. And listen, let's go back to the beginning. Because if you go all the way back, so Adam and Eve in the garden, okay, they are told, listen, don't eat of this tree, right? The knowledge of good and evil, the law of sorts back then. So this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of this or you'll surely die. And so they are, they eat of the tree, sin enters the world, and here's the deal, ever since that day, man has been trying to get back to God on, it, on our own strength, right? Ever since that day, we've been trying to pick up the pieces because there was brokenness and there was hurt. God, we used to be in perfect communion with you, and we strive and strive and strive to get back to Him on our own strength. Sin does that. Sin says you're good enough to get back to God yourself. And pulls us then from the law and the truth that says, no, there's a Savior that you need. Okay. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 12. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So summing up, if we put these two into two different boxes, we have the law over here and the benefits of the law versus the detriments of sin. He's saying, okay, we get this and we look from a distance and say, okay, the law is good, it is holy, it is perfect, it is true. Verse 13. Did that which is good then, the law, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through that, through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So one last clarify, one last question. Did the law, did that which is good, bring death? By no means, certainly not, inconceivable. It did not happen. Here's what I want us to camp out on for just a moment. Where we need to come into this is how do we respond to this truth? Because it's easy for us to, to read this as, all right, if sin is doing this inside of me, 
sin is to blame for when I'm disobedient, right? If sin is that bad, if it's truly controlling me and is doing all of these things, man, then why am I to blame if it's the sin inside of me? Surely then sin is to blame and not myself. This is the story that I hear over and over and over, and it usually doesn't come in these words. It's usually not, listen, it's sin's fault. It's usually, listen, that's just, that's just how the world works. Or, man, everyone does it, right? Rationalizing sin or passing blame on to others and not taking responsibility for ourselves. We have become champions in this area. And I see it, listen, on both ends, right? On the, listen, non-Christian, don't love Jesus, I see it on that, and I see it on the end where, no, lovers and followers of Christ doing the same thing, blaming, skirting responsibility, blaming things that are not their own volition. We can't do that. The time for that is done. The time for honesty, and to go the second option here of saying, okay, no, 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 Sin controlling me, sin inside of me, does not take away the fact that I choose to disobey. Adam, right? Adam and Eve in the beginning. Not even filled with sin at that point. They chose to disobey God. Don't eat of this tree. And they ate. The one thing in the entire garden, given all of creation, don't do this one thing. Right? They, had, they, could have, they could have ridden a rhino. Right? They could have done anything they wanted to do. And they did the one thing they weren't supposed to. We are responsible for our sin. Like, it is us. It, it's not the person next to you. It's not the person that betrayed you. It's not the person that hurts you. Now, do those things play a role in our lives and we respond to those things? Absolutely. Do those things affect us and shape us and hurt us in many ways deeply? Absolutely. But our sin is our sin. And there's no one to blame but ourselves. We have to begin, listen, not individually and as a church, to begin to understand that the sin that we have is is all bad, that it's destroying us, okay, and that it's our own fault. Because the truth is, here's here's my hope, is that as we spend more time just kind of looking at this idea, right? If we spend more time just and, and we've had people ask us why on Sundays we take a moment and we do our confession song or. Sometimes Nate will have us just kind of be quiet, confess sin before God. It feels very traditional and religious. and things. The idea behind that moment, the idea behind confession is to acknowledge before God that it's our fault and that we need Him. Again, the law, trying to tell us we cannot get to Him by ourselves, that we need help, that we need a Savior. So in the midst of this, even as I was prepping it this week, and I was like, man, I'm going to say some of this stuff, and we need to own our sin, and, and there's so much brokenness in the world, and I want to just make sure we understand that I get that sin is so influenced by outside factors, but I want us to get at the same time that it's, so, uh, it's such an individual decision at the same time. But I realize that puts us in a pretty hard place. Right? It, it puts us in a, 
pretty insecure spot, at least myself it did, as I thought through, man, my life is just riddled with sin left and right. I'm doing stuff I know I shouldn't do. There's things I should be doing I know I'm not doing, on and on and on. And man, to know that this is on me. This, this is on me. The law was, was there to protect us. Recently we had a, a pretty hard trial happen in our lives and I remember sitting down and talking about sin and brokenness in the world and why is there hurt? Why did this happen? You know. And theologically, listen, there's there's much case to be made for sin and brokenness and fractured world and the whole deal. And I and I took another step back from that and I thought to myself, you know, that system, this this sinful system of brokenness and pain and hurt, I feed into every day. That that the pain and the hurt that I'm feeling in this moment I perpetuate that pain and hurt in other people's lives when I sin. And that is a shattering reality. That God said, this, no, this is, this is the law. This is how it should be done. This is meant to point us to God. Yet, I continue to choose over and over and over my own way, which I think is better. I choose sin, and I feed into the system that caused my own brokenness, pain, and hurt. It's a shattering reality, not just that it was affecting me, but it was affecting all those around me as well. The pain that I felt others would feel too because I am part of a system. I feed into a sinful world that hurts and breaks and betrays and distorts and the whole deal. So, now that we all feel terrible, what's the hope, right? What, what's the hope here? Okay. This should put us in a place of, God, I have nothing left. I am undone before you. And so then the gospel, right? So then the gospel. And the law, you have to understand, the gospel is a story. It's not just a bunch of bullet points. It's not this truncate. It's a story of God redeeming all of creation, okay? And leading into a kingdom that is both here and forever. That's what it is. It's a story. And guess what? The law is central, is a central piece to this story. I was going to just kind of like I usually do, just kind of share the gospel in this moment. But again, as I started to realize all these parallels with where the law comes in, and, and we were sitting down in preaching collective, a few of us the other day, and, and this idea was brought up by Anthony, and I just thought it was brilliant, and so I, I actually just wrote this out instead. I want to read it to you guys about the gospel story, how the law influences us, and how Jesus is better. It says this. It says, There was a tree... And that tree was good. Man was told that that tree was reserved for God alone. Yet we disobeyed. Disobedience exposed humanity to sin. Knowledge now corrupted by sin brought death in the Garden of Eden. So the law was given. Sin now exposed as sin. Revealing our hope cannot be in ourselves. Our hope now must lie in a good that cannot be corrupted, cannot be distorted, and cannot be moved. Then comes that hope. A Savior. Jesus. The only good this world has seen that can make that claim. He is fully good. Sin did not master Him. He mastered it in obedience to the law. He himself authored. Once again, the law was distorted and humanity, corrupted by sin, sent our Savior to a cross. His spotless good still led to death. 
it led to a tree, but a very different tree from the one in Eden. One whose limbs did not bear a fateful fruit, but rather met nail-driven hands and nail-driven feet, bearing for us a fruit that lasts eternally. It was another tree that was reserved for God alone. God is redemptive. Where once good was abused to bring death, now death to the one who perfectly embodied this good brings about life now and life eternal. We now place faith and hope in a truth, a law that is, that is perfect, embodied in our Savior, Jesus, now literally reviving our souls. Praise God for the law. Amen. That is the gospel story. That is why the law, that is why it came, that is why it's there. To show us that we needed someone to fulfill what we could not. To give us a marker that throughout history, the law had been abused, so it took one who could not be abused, not be corrupted, to completely fulfill every aspect of it, that in faith in Him, we're restored back to God. There is peace, there is hope, eternal. That's the gospel. That, that is what Paul, this week and, and the next week, is he is wrestling through this reality. And I know we all are because man, over the last four or five weeks we've been going back and forth of man, we, sin is just eating us alive and we want to walk in freedom. Right? We want to walk in freedom from the sin that so easily entangles us. We've been going back and forth. That is the Christian life, right? We're constantly in this battle of, man, I don't want to do that, but I do this and on down the line. What I want us to understand as we continue to pursue righteousness and flee from sin, to sit in the freedom that is in Christ, as we do that, this is the story that must shape us. Right? This is the story that has to shape every... It's the story where our story can make sense. Every other story that the world offers, your story does not fit. It just doesn't. Your story finds its place in the gospel story of God redeeming all things and using the law to get us there. So, love Steve Craig. Okay? Love Michael Chopka. Love the law. Praise God for the law. Because it keeps us. It sustains us. It shows us that grace is better. Right? We don't live by the law. Now we live by grace, but law shows us that grace is better. It shows us that Christ is better. And that's why we celebrate it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the law. God, it's such a almost tough thing for us to just swallow that could be that good. But I pray as we go out from this place that we'd rejoice in what you've done through it. God, that his sin corrupted it and used it for its purposes. God, thank you that you used it for yours and yours are good and true and perfect and lead us back to you. Lord, we just pray that you would guide us and shape us. Lord, I pray that this moment would be a moment of rejoicing for us as we just celebrate how good you are. We celebrate that you took something that sin wanted to use for bad. God, you made it good and then led us eternal. So Lord, bless us as we sing, bless us as we give, bless us as we come together and take communion. Father, we love you, we thank you, it's in your name, amen.